Hello and welcome to the Partnerships for Progress podcast, a conversation to fuel innovation in higher education. In today's episode, I sit down with Eugene Sell, Managing Director of Lifelong Learning at Jobs for the Future, to talk about how higher education can innovate to meet the needs of learners along the education career continuum. Listen in as we discuss the shortcomings of the current higher education model, emerging conversations around a skills-first philosophy, and how learners, as well as learning providers, can navigate this change to be future-ready. Jobs for the Future is a national nonprofit that drives transformation of the U.S. education and workforce systems to achieve equitable economic advancement for all. I'm thrilled to welcome Eugene So, Managing Director of Lifelong Learning, whose work is committed to redesigning the connection between education and workforce systems to better serve the needs of workers and learners. Welcome, Eugene. Thanks, Amanda. That was a great introduction. One probably better than I would have given. So thank you. <laughs> well, we're thrilled to have you join us today and excited to, you know, learn from some of the wisdom and, and expertise you have in, in working in this space. So thank you again for joining us. Yeah, I'm excited about the conversation. To dive right in, I'd really love to, to talk a bit about the current state of the higher ed and workforce landscape. And so I'm curious, what do you see as the shortcomings of the current higher education model, especially in light of the way things have recently changed? When we look at the higher education landscape from our perspective, I think there's a perception versus reality on, on the value of higher education and the discussion really is amplified in that way where we're talking about this return on investment question, right? But I think when we really think about the intention of higher education, it really is this ecosystem of diverse people, thoughts, ideas. And it's typically viewed as a really safe and soft launchpad for young people to start like incubating their lives and transition into adulthood. We've met our best friends, our spouses at, in, in college and you know, you've learned everything, how to pay rent to balance your schedule and, and those things. But while that's true, the reality is also like the characteristics of our students today have drastically changed, right? Like the new majority learner today has characteristics that actually require a lot more agility. And so when we look at the average undergraduate today, many, I think something along 75% are exhibiting some characteristics of this new majority learner. And what we mean by that is many of them are coming from first-generation households where they're the first to go to college. Many of them are working part-time or full-time. Many have dependents that they're taking care of. And the reality is many will transfer from one to two to three institutions over the course of their academic journey. That's the reality in terms of the students that these institutions are also starting to serve today. Now, while we believe higher education has so much to offer, this world is evolving. And the value proposition, rightfully so, has gone into spotlight of saying it is really expensive, right? And it is very much time bound. And in many cases, we're having difficulty articulating and extracting like those core skills that are needed to be presented when you're looking for a job. That goes without showing that we see numbers like 44 million students with some college, but no credential. That's a problem augmented by what everyone knows is our $1.7 trillion student loan debt. So these are discussion points that while we believe in the value of higher education, 
the current model may not suit the majority of students that are that need it or would love to participate in that way as we could before. Certainly. And like all things, they change and morph. And the higher education model certainly is in a moment in time where thinking about that adaptability and responsiveness and it is that we're in desperate need of reimagining. How are you seeing alternative like training and private learning solutions being responsive to these circumstances that you're describing? If COVID did anything, it accelerated the utility and scale of diverse solutions, specifically in the education and workforce development space. I think the audience will probably know Credential Engine has produced a report showcasing over a million credentials in the ecosystem today. The majority of those coming from non-academic, quote-unquote, non-traditional learning providers. They obviously come into a time and place where Again, the responsiveness, agility is meeting the needs of talent. However, with that being said, it raises the attention needed on quality, right? And so while we have on one hand, higher education and the standards we have towards accreditation, we know that that those standards aren't equal in terms of our overarching credentials marketplace. So you have spoken in some work that you have produced around lifelong learning and pillars for learner-centered experiences, and you've described a skills-first philosophy. So what kind of conversations are you seeing emerge regarding a more skills-first philosophy? Yeah, I mean, skills is almost an overused word these days, but really what we're trying to get to and our audience base is trying to get to is Really, in this time and in age, especially in the world of work, in how this is being articulated, companies are looking for ways to really attract, recruit, and retain diverse talent. And they know that this diverse talent, in order to really get this talent within their pipelines, they need to have systems and processes in place in order to actually facilitate that and hire talent that don't necessarily have a requirement of a degree. Now, ways that we've tried to then be able to extract these core skills and competencies has now become an entire practice within itself. When we have thinking about short course learnings or certificate programs, being able to then articulate skills and then map them to the job descriptions that are necessary is something that's in practice today. We have obviously an employer mobilization team here at JFF that focuses very much not only on the narrative change and the culture change of hiring on a diverse skills basis, but also the toolkits necessary in order to start implementing those things within your HR and your L&D practices. Skills first philosophy also relates to us on ecosystem development, right? We know that our systems need to speak better to one another. So our education institutions are not on the hook for defining these skills themselves, but is in deep concert with the learners themselves, as well as the systems that they're trying to get to gain access to. I think altogether, if we have a more unified and connected ecosystem, then we're able to influence some change as it relates to policy, financing. Uh, A lot of conversations we have around short-term Pell or Pell Grant expansion for those uh, students that desperately need uh, funding to access further education. All of those come together and When we talk about skills first, that helps to facilitate this conversation on how that education makes sense for work and life. 
The shift to a skills-first philosophy in the workforce will require higher education institutions to adapt to meet the needs of today's learners. Keep listening as we discuss the necessary shifts in investment in workforce-aligned skills-based programming in order to stay relevant in the changing environment. I only imagine things getting increasingly more complex. Obviously, coming up with solutions to help dissect a little bit of of how these skills are interfacing across education, training, and workforce, helping learners figure out how to navigate it. You also brought up earlier a bit about the quality and sending signals to uh, learners, employers, and others around how these skills are being translated and achieved by learners. Are you imagining more disruptions in the workforce of tomorrow? And is there any predictability around what we can anticipate? Yeah, I mean, a lot of our work specifically in what we're trying to do here in lifelong learning is really the necessity for a more cohesive learner centered ecosystem, knowing that disruption is happening today, let alone tomorrow. I think what many reports show over the next 10 years, more 40% of the jobs that exist today will be eliminated due to automation. Now, this is not meant to be doom and gloom because we know that double that number will be the jobs that are created due to technology advancements. In order to access the training and the education that's necessary to fulfill those jobs is the challenge that's at hand today. We also know that these same disruptions are not going to happen in a vacuum. We know that certain regions will be affected more than other regions, right? So your technology hubs that are in existence today are probably built with resiliency to these changes, but our other economic hubs in in the United States are going to really need to think deeply about their regional economic development plans and what the workforce is for that region. Obviously, we're also experiencing drastic changes in what we consider work in general. Over the last two years, we've seen a 33% increase in those that are identifying as self-employed. A lot of that could be due to COVID, but we're also seeing the rise of this micro-entrepreneurship or entrepreneurship in general, uh, as well as organizations due to COVID, thinking about efficiencies and how they can leverage a liquid workforce, whether it's through freelancers or contract workers. So a lot is changing uh, for us when we think about also this next generation, right? Gen, we're already like deep in the throes of Gen Z, but Gen Alpha will be driven by the most digitally literate, most globally minded, most climate and well-being conscious population ever. And they're going to work in jobs that don't exist today. So how do we build a system of learning that accounts for these types of learners, knowing that they're digesting information much differently than you and I do? Yeah, that can be an overwhelming environment to imagine, but also really exciting to tackle in, in, to your point, in collaboration and partnership across these different systems working cohesively towards these goals. So going back to the concept about evaluating quality and thinking about the learner experiences, how can you advise or help learners navigate the shifting environment and determine what programs and learning experiences are the the right investments for their future? Part of your question really points to gaps that we have in the market today. My brilliant colleague, Mina Naik and uh, Nate Anderson recently published a report on jff.org around the need for quality and changes in our current marketplace today, right? And so that dives into everything that we've talked about thus far in terms of skills 
and navigating the over 1 million credentials that are in the space today. Part of that is the work that we're trying to accomplish in lifelong learning is part of that is quality, right? And so that has been driven by the work we're doing with, with Equos and trying to understand, can you look at the outcomes uh, that are derived from undertaking certain certificate programs? That's more of a question than it is an answer today, right? As uh, it's ongoing partnerships are necessary in order to, to get to that point, but in deep partnership with our great colleagues at Burning Glass Institute, we think it's solvable. We think that's going to lead to really the construction architecture of that type of marketplace that has some transparency. But it's also in our purview to see those providers and those aggregators that are doing that at scale, right? And so whether it's aggregating peer reviews, understanding and evaluating peer-to-peer -peer learning models in their approach, we think that all adds to the mix of being able to provide learners with awareness what are the jobs that exist today that are in demand? What are the jobs tomorrow that are that the skills you're going to need for that? Connection, right? Understanding beyond just generic pathways, right? Like the optionality that you have in terms of skill acquisition. And I think the kicker to it all, other than really understanding the diverse learning options that are out there, but is really around social capital. How can we synthetically and organically develop these connections that people need in order to meet each other? to gain knowledge about the work that's being done. So it's better to make connections that you can't just take off of a learning platform. So I think all of those aspects, though hard to scale, are, are very important in kind of talking about quality. Yeah, Eugene, you've referenced something that I've been feeling increasingly in the world. We're wildly connected and increasingly disconnected. And that's such a, an interesting paradigm. And I love that the, the focus here is on building those connections and thinking about the networks and the learning and the relational aspects, because feels like it needs so much more attention. We imagine everything being at our fingertips, and yet that aspect is something that that is, is harder and harder to figure out how to really cultivate. Absolutely. So ultimately, to wrap up some of our conversation here, what advice would you have for learning providers? What can they do to innovate through partnership and collaboration to be more future ready, to create equal opportunities for all and figure out how they fit in this kind of ecosystem you're describing? And ultimately here at JFF is really Understand what our North Star is. And recently we published what our North Star is, is that over the next 10 years, we're going to help 75 million people access quality jobs. And that requires really that keen focus on the needs of these learners and workers, those that are actually most challenged as well. And so by starting at that, then we start understanding these populations and, th and their needs. As I stated at the top of this conversation, if I know that 44 million people have some college but no credential, and their goal is to work in a quality job, what do we need to build in order to help connect these, these folks to quality work? For us, it, it's A, is understanding the architecture and infrastructure that we need to put in place to have ways that skills and experiences and these learner profiles are able to be ported to the opportunities that makes the most sense for them. So when I think about partnership, it's a lot of and rather than either or. So Amanda, you and I have spoken about terms that have been tossed around like stackability. Is a really generic way that we can talk about this, but how do the courses that I offer, the programs that I offer, able to stack with, say, a college degree, if it's work experience as an example, 
that helps mitigate a lot of the risk that learners are navigating through in order to make decisions that they think are best for their lives. Also, when we think about things like shared services, knowing that, again, social capital and developing that on online platforms is very difficult, but we can work in partnership with other providers that we know are building cohorts of like-minded people in that way. We also know that in industries of focus, knowing that there's talent shortages and how we can help those learners both obtain their technical skills needed in order to do their job, but then also work towards aspirational goals of furthering their careers through other means is going to be even more important as well. I think there's a lot we can do in terms of connecting our employers to our higher education system and understanding what skills basis means and then being able to be collaborative developers together in order to create the solutions that are necessary for these folks. Again, and this all leads towards advancements for these learners themselves, whether it's through financing or access to education in in more diverse ways, well, we'll all be better for it at the end of the day. And I certainly couldn't agree more. I think education has always thought about learning in like these very kind of sequential building blocks. And I think we're increasingly describing this environment where it's links in a chain that's bendable and flexible and swirling and looping. And we're all, and I love your reference to and, you know, that and that there's so many opportunities for our learners to acquire skills and learning experiences that should and could complement one another over a lifetime so that we all are seeing the the avenues very clearly to that social mobility that everyone certainly deserves. Eugene, I'm so grateful for your time today, for this conversation, and for your work in the space. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was fun. Thank you for listening, and a big thank you to Eugene for his insight. Acadium is helping institutions future-proof with our new skills marketplace by connecting learners with the skills and certifications needed along the education career continuum. We're here to help your institution meet the challenges facing higher education and to serve the modern day learner. Make sure to subscribe to the Partnerships for Progress podcast on your favorite podcast platform so you know when the next conversation is live.